0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faye, Monday, April thirtieth, twenty eighteen. Who this year is going fast? (laughs) Yeah, that's right The uh, heresy hurricane season That we currently find ourselves in Will be coming to a close In just four short weeks to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostlelets, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God... Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, thats teaching that is put out there for consumption by evangelicals, is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. These The steady core doctrines now that have really kind of taken shape over the past ten years have amalgamated into a Christianity that isn't even Christianity. It's really... Really bizarre out there. And for all this talk of believing that the Bible is the Word of God, yeah, it doesn't matter if you believe it's the infallible, inerrant Word of God. If you're not preaching it, or your pastor isn't teaching it and proclaiming it, and you're not growing in your understanding of it, you're not believing biblical doctrines. You're being taught false doctrines. So, what we do here at Fighting for the Faith is politically incorrect. We name names, we play sound bites. There is satire involved, (laughs) a little smarminess from time to time. You kind of get the idea. But all of this is designed to help train and teach you sound biblical exegesis, good hermeneutics, and how to identify the, uh, the current crop of, like... Major false teachers, as well as popular false doctrines, regardless of who 's teaching them, because these things have a way of kind of like uh, weed seeds blowing in the winds and landing in other people 's uh, churchyards and uh, growing there, so uh, we want to alert you so that you can be protected uh, you know from these false teachers, and the false doctrines uh, warn others, but more importantly than that <clears throat> that you would have a fuller understanding of what Scripture says, because here's what I've been saying for almost a decade now. What the Bible really teaches is so much greater and better and more amazing than uh, what we're hearing from false teachers. All right, so let's, um, let's talk about what we're going to do as we uh, launch into this week. We are going to first head over to Expression 58. Expression 58. This is where Sean Bulls holds court, but we're not going to be listening to Sean Bulls. We're going to be listening to one of the other teaching pastors there, whose name is Jonah Toledo. Holy Toledo, yeah. Uh, Jonah Jonah Toledo is going to be uh, talking about the power of identity and uh, where he's going to get his... Theology from is not the Word of God, nope, not at all he 's going to be getting it from an alternative source, and uh, we will note that alternative source when we get there once we 're finished with that. we will uh, head down to a um, fellowship church. Uh, the Miami uh, satellite campus, as we listen to Ed Young from his sermon series titled Fool. So this is not my name for it, it's his. It's titled Fool, and this is part four of the sermon series. And the only way I can describe what it is that you're going to hear him do is some really kind of awkward, condescending word salad thing. Yeah, we'll we'll note what that's about when we get there. And then uh somewhere along the line we're going to have to take a break. And uh you know, which means we'll probably end up taking the break partway through the Ed Young segment. And then we will uh round out our number 1 with uh, a Brian Houston and Hillsong update. And titled A Solomon Generation. Now, one of the things that we have noted here at Fighting for the Faith is that one of the popular twisting techniques when it comes to mangling God's word, we call it narcissism. This is where you narcissistically, because, I mean, you're so amazing, right? Um, You you narcissistically read yourself into the biblical text. And in this particular case, this is a weird spin on it, uh, this is not narcissistic eisegesis in that sense. It would be kind of like congregational narcissistic eisegesis, Hillsong Jesus, if you can call it that. But uh, you'll you'll see what he's doing here uh, rather quickly. But we'll play uh, enough of the sermon so you can get the feel for what it is that he's doing. Uh, the Solomon generation, as Bill as uh, Brian Houston will be teaching, are, are the leaders of Hillsong. So you know. And then in hour number two, we are going to head to a C3 Church San Diego as we listen to one of the uh, other campus pastors of C3 San Diego, Charles Fuller, and his sermon titled, Put the Pedal to the Metal. Yeah, I was, wish I was making that up. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders, network information exchange, syndicate update, let's do this.
1: Oh, hallelujah. up right
0: It's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So like I said, we're heading over to Expression 58, which is a weird name for a church, uh, Expression 58, and we're going to be listening to Jonah Toledo and the Power of Identity. And uh, we're going to note something before we even get into this uh, sermon, and that is what Scripture tells us to be looking to when it comes to doctrine yeah so we 'll note that, and as we work our way through this segment we 're going to also note how jesus 's half brother Jude warns us of about a, about a particular type of false teacher but in second uh, Timothy chapter three second uh, Timothy chapter three, this is a pastoral epistle. And so you 'll note this is written to pastors uh-huh. uh here 's what it says, Second Timothy chapter three, starting at verse ten. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured yet from all of, all, all them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted he says while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived i would <clears throat> I, I would bear witness at this point that over the course of my career here at Fighting for the Faith, and over the course of my lifetime, I have watched deceivers go from bad to worse. There's just no doubt about it. But here's what Timothy is admonished to do by the Apostle Paul in this pastoral epistle. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with, listen, the sacred writings, these would be the scriptures, uh, the gramata, grammata, this is actual writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, grafe writing, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So I charge you then in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Yeah, preach the word. This is what pastors are instructed to do because all scripture is breathed out by God. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and doctrine, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Job of a pastor then is to preach the word. I think you get the point. So let's check in with Jonah Toledo and see what he will be preaching from from his sermon, literally from yesterday. Here we go.
2: Hey, everybody. <laughs> okay. There we go. Well, are you guys ready for God to continue to do everything He wants to do today? Good. All the things
0: God wants to do today. Okay.
2: Well, today, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. And uh, Mark and I, we're going to share the time up here. And even just last week, as I was praying for today, I just keep feeling that God wanted to do something different. And I'm excited about what he... So,
0: so you had a feels. You had a feels that God wanted to do something different. Re- really? And so your feeling trumps what God, the Holy Spirit, had the Apostle Paul write in that pastoral epistle, that we're to preach the word. Mm-hmm. He felt God wanted to do something different.
2: Hmm. To do today. Um, I feel like we're going to get breakthrough in things that we have. Many of you have contended for a long time. I see the things that, that I, I was. I was looking at the things that look impossible and got coming and breaking through this morning, and so we just want to make a lot of space for that.
0: You, you want to make a lot of space for the breakthrough thingy, right? I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: I want to start with a dream, and this dream.
0: Not the Word of God. He's going to start with a what? With a dream. Now, let's take a look at another uh, passage of Scripture. If you would turn over to the epistle of Jude. Jude. Always listen to Fighting for the Faith, by the way, with an open Bible, not an open mind. And uh, this is a small one-chapter letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, whose name was Jude. And here's what Jude writes. Jude, starting at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Yeah, you you got to fight for the faith. you got to contend for it. Why? Contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. For certain people, they've crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, These false teachers that we are to contend against, these people also relying on their dreams, hallmark of a false teacher. This is somebody who relies on their dreams. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, uh, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord Lord, rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain, abandon themselves for the sake of gain, that would be money, to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's Rebellion, yeah, and I would say that uh, expressions fifty-eight is a group of people that reject authority and they rely on their dreams. Uh, They are similar to Balaam in that they they forsaken themselves for the sake of gain. They are prophets for profit, and uh, so the reject authority puts them into the Korah's rebellion category. And I've taught on this before. You can find this in the uh, archives of fighting for the faith when I ramble. On uh, the uh, book of Jude, Roseboro's ramblings on the book of Jude. But all of that being said, so uh, we're only a minute in, and uh, Jonah Toledo is going to lead off this
2: sermon by preaching about a dream that he had. It's actually happening. Th- this actually happened this morning, and I woke up with this dream. And in my dream, I was in this. There was this big stage. I knew it was a church. It was a big stage, and there's a preacher there. And the preacher was anointed, but I've, I had no clue who this preacher was. I've never seen him before. And he's preaching about the anointing. This whole message was about the anointing. And he's talking about that. And at one point he stops. And he goes, I'm not talking about the anointing of Moses. And he was saying, I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about the anointing of of Moses. And he just make it like, like three or four times. He made a point that he was not talking about the anointing of Moses. And I woke up from the dream. And I feel... And obviously, this, this dream is very connected to what we were already going to be sharing today. And it makes, it makes perfect sense to me. One of the things that God wants to do today is that He wants to break off the, 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 the expectations that we have that come out of just our experience or our religious understanding. Because what he's doing is completely...
0: Really, God, he wants to break off these, these things, really. And the only reason you know this is because you had a dream. Okay.
2: And, and many times those things will hold us back to be able to do everything that we're called to do. That's part of it. Part of it is that the anointed of Moses, that even though that it was incredible, it was still limited. And now through Jesus, we have full access and we get to we get to flourish in every area of our life because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And and, and there's a reality to that that I believe is going to hit the church in a whole new way. And we talk about
0: oh wow, a reality that's going to finally hit the church in a whole new way. What does that word? What does that sentence even mean? A new reality is going to hit the church in a whole new way. This is like the, the sentence, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. There was a noun, there was a verb, and uh, the sentence was correctly constructed, but the meaning of it is
2: quite elusive. Seems, But it, it's not manifesting yet. There we see little glimpses here and there, and I feel like this is, this is a, a moment in time where we, this is the other thing I could in hearing this morning, you're stepping into my time. I keep hearing God saying, you're stepping...
0: Uh, so you heard that this morning, which will be yesterday, that uh, we're stepping into his time. Wow. Oh, it's about time we stepped into his time. i you know, been waiting on that for my whole lifetime,
2: you know? Into my time. And, I, and, and, and as he's saying those things, I feel like the, that, you know, obviously we can always just access things through faith, but there's, there's moments in time that have been in the heart of God from the beginning, where he does incredible things. Where what did that sentence mean? Let me back
0: this up again. This is nonsense. This is gibberish. Listen again. And,
2: I, and, and, and as he's saying those things, I feel like the, that, you know, obviously we can always just access things to faith, but there's, there's moments in time that have been in the heart of God.
0: From moments in time that have been in the heart of God. What does a moment of time look like when it's encapsulated inside the heart of God?
2: Beginning where he does incredible things, uh-huh. where there's breakthroughs that change everything for us. And right. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's been moments in my life that there was a, a before that and an after that mom- moment. Yeah. <laughs> So there was a before that and an after
0: that moment. Yeah, you know, I I have those all the time. There was like before the moment that I heard you say that nonsense. And now there's after that moment that I heard you say this nonsense. There was a before and after moment for sure. Yeah.
2: But there was something was completely changed forever in me. And and I believe that we're in a season where we are going to experience some of that.
0: Experience what exactly? (laughs) What does this even mean?
2: God wants to free us from the old.
0: Really? Yeah, I, I thought Jesus wanted to free us from the dominion of the devil. You know, uh, slavery to sin, death, the devil, things like that, the world. Um, yeah, I thought that's what he wanted to free us from.
2: You know, we need to learn from our experience, but many times our history becomes a ceiling to what God wants to do.
0: Uh huh. That, that history ceiling. Phenomena, Yeah, it's talked about in 4th Lamentations 98 or something like that, yeah.
2: In our lives, and he wants to break those ceilings that are bringing limitation to us. Well, why doesn't he get on with it then? If he wants to break
0: it, why doesn't he get on with the breaking thing? That would be helpful, you know.
2: The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. This is one of the things that I believe that God's going to do, and they're, they're, we, we, why do you believe God's going to do
0: this? And what exactly is he doing again? I'm quite fuzzy on the details as to what it is that He's going to be doing.
2: He say with our, with, our, with our mouths that we trust in God, but our life is not reflecting the fruit of somebody who fully trusts in God. When you fully trust in God, you're, you live a supernatural life.
0: You- oh, yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> That's a dangerous teaching, by the way. Let me explain. So if you attend these types of charismatic movement churches and you sit sitting there going, how is it that the guys on stage – You know, they they just kind of tell all of these stories. It seems like they're always operating in the supernatural. They'll tell stories like, you know, so I went over to the Piggly Wiggly, and uh, while I was at the Piggly Wiggly, saw a girl there who, you know, was oppressed by some cancer demon thingy, and... And I I could see into the spirit and that uh, she was being oppressed by the cancer demon thingy. And so I went over to her and I said, you know, I I, I don't want to frighten you, but I see that there's a cancer demon thingy on you. Does that sound correct? And the girl said, yes, that's correct. Oh, and then I knew that, oh, we're dealing with the supernatural here. And so I rebuked the cancer demon thingy. And wouldn't you know it, she repented and we baptized her at the back of the Piggly Wiggly, and now she's speaking in tongues, and she and the kingdom of God is coming to her life. And you sit there and go, what was her name again? Which Piggly Wiggly was that? And is is this on – do you have video of any of this? Yeah, they don't have any of those details. But they, they always tell these stories. Like, yeah, you know, I'm just operating in the supernatural. Like, it's the, like the easiest thing ever. And you're going, how is this possible? Well, what Jonah Toledo just said is that when you trust – fully, then you at, you operate in the supernatural, which means, so you're wondering, why am I not able to do these things? How come my life seems so ordinary and not supernatural? Well, it's because y- y- you aren't trusting fully. Yeah, let me back that up just a little bit so you can hear it again in context.
2: Uh, with our With our mouths that we trust in God, but our life is not reflecting the fruit of somebody who fully trusts in God. When you fully trust in God, you're, you live a supernatural life. You live in a place of breakthrough. You live in a place... Right, see,
0: the reason why you're not living in a place of breakthrough is because you just don't trust fully like Jonah Toledo does.
2: So if, even when it's difficult, there is joy, there is peace, there is heaven around you. There's, there's gold. It's, 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 it's like gold in the fire. Even in the fire, even in the, in, this, in the hard circumstances, there is beauty that's coming out when you're trusting in God. And if those things are not happening, there's still... Yeah, if that's not happening, you don't, you don't trust fully yet. A place in us, there's a percentage of us are still trusting, putting our trust in other things. And many of those things for us as Christians is all ways of thinking that were thought uh, either in the way that we grew up or, or just by religion in general.
0: You know, yeah, that that religion stuff that that'll keep you from trusting fully. So you got to get rid of that religion stuff and fully operate in the fully believing thingy, so that the supernatural just happens quite naturally. Right. I, I think you get the point. And by the way, you know, the whole first leg of this sermon, not a single biblical text brought out at all. He literally was just exegeting his dream, spewing his thoughts, and none of it had anything whatsoever to do with what God's Word really says. All right, moving along. uh, This is a Vision Casting Leader update. Let's do this. Yeah. Slobos Ministry Records and uh, Casting Vision. So we're heading over to Fellowship Church, their uh, Miami campus, and uh, we're going to be listening to Ed Young, and uh, this is kind of like condescending word salad is the best way I can describe it, and this is from the sermon series that he named, the sermon series titled Fool. That's his uh, name for the sermon series. Let's check in with Ed Young.
3: Miami, our beautiful Miami campus. We have campuses all over the place. We have one right near Sarasota in Northport. Let's do a big shout out to our other Florida campus. Then, of course, Dallas Fort Worth. And these are kind of strange names I know to you guys Prosper Salina. I love it, it's an awesome area. Then we have Southlake Keller, gorgeous grapevine. That's where we do a lot of stuff. So I want to say welcome. You guys doing well? All right. So am I. So am I. Well, today we're continuing this series called fool. That's an interesting title, isn't it? I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the book of Proverbs and I'm talking about fool. What does it mean to be a fool? I think We all have done foolish things in our lives. We've done those things that we were going, man, that was just not very bright. That was foolish. The the word fool means to be open. You're kind of open to anything and everything. When I do something foolish, I go with my emotions and I kind of go along with the crowd. And I think I know what's up and I do this or that. When I'm foolish, though, when I take the path of foolishness, I pay for it. I run the stadium steps of regret and shame. And I think we could all go, man, Ed, I have definitely. Do you have our church app? If you have our church app, lift your hand. All of our Now that little jump in the audio was
0: on their end, not ours. So now he's asked the question. Do you have our
3: church app? Okay. What's this? Our church app is amazing. If you don't, I'm gonna give you ten seconds to download our app. You might be going, What is an app? You're probably a baby boomer asking that question. That's okay. Look Are you kidding me? I
0: seriously. Do you honestly think there's anybody there at Fellowship Church Miami campus who doesn't know what an app is? <laughs> I mean Smartphones, you know, of either the Android or the iPhone
3: variety have become ubiquitous. I mean, they're all over the place. A millennial that's someone with a scoop shirt on and kind of wild hair, ink all over their body, skinny jeans. That's a millennial. They might be sipping coffee right now. Just just ask them, how do I download this app? Uh, Okay.
0: The, the, that's not, That's just, like I said, the tip of the iceberg, though. Um, let's go ahead and go to our first break. And uh, when we come back, we will continue uh, with this. And, uh, you know, condescending word salad uh, is the best way I can describe it. But uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard... On this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address is talkback at com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. We will be hearing more from Ed Young and then we will be hearing from Brian Houston down at Hillsong. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
4: Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking
5: your false doctrine now. <laughs> Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Kwon Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. Alright. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my 8-week program, you're gonna learn these things. First off, in Rex Rexquando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're gonna learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. You think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church.
0: for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
5: Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twistbusters. You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, pirate gang conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe.
0: Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that preaching from dreams is no way of learning sound biblical doctrine. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at 24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at 49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, you can do that as well by clicking on Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to make a one-time contribution the traditional way, you can do so by making your gift payable to fighting for the faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to Fellowship Church, Miami campus, as uh, Ed Young has just basically assumed that there's Older people in the audience who have no clue what an app is or how to download one and, and uh, said,
3: ask a millennial, they'll help you out. <clears throat> we continue. Go to the App Store, type in Fellowship Church, and you'll see Get. I'll give you some time.
0: Yeah, he's literally taking up sermon time for that.
3: Uh, ah. <laughs> My notes are on the app today. You can follow along with me. We write a devotional every day. It's called the 92nd devotional.
0: You can Why does he sound like he's talking to kindergartners that you know, I or don't wouldn't wouldn't understand him.
3: Messages and, and join us online if you're traveling or sick. That's the only time you can do that. But our app is, is, is awesome. So if
0: you're traveling or sick, that's the only time you can really use the app. Apparently, you need a note from your mother or a doctor. So let's
3: jump right into what I'm talking about. Okay. What am I talking about? I'm talking about talk. That's what I'm talking about. You're, you, um, you're talking about talk. Okay. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about talk. The, the, the Bible talks a lot about talk. We average 30 conversations a day. Wow. Who knew? 30 conversations a day. We send and receive an average of 128 texts per day. Okay. Americans send 18.7 billion texts per day. If you took
0: the entire... So is that the reason why you're going to be talking about
3: talking. Okay. U.S. of A. 18 billion texts a day. So we're all about words, are we not? We're all about conversations. We're all about, we're all about this gift of communication that God's given us. Words are wonderful. They can be awesome. But also words can be horrible. They can be filled with hate words can be wonderful they can also start wars think about just for a second adolf hitler his words led to the extermination of millions of jews think about martin luther king jr his words led to freedom and equality think about winston churchill think about think about fidel castro
0: Yeah, shouldn't I be thinking about Jesus right now? I mean, Jesus said a few words. I know he never sent a text message or anything. But, you know, Jesus said some words. In fact, he is the word made flesh. I mean, is that where we're going?
3: He did to the beautiful country of Cuba with his words. Abraham Lincoln. You. And me. Right. Your words. What are your words saying about you?
0: That I am warning people about heretics and false teachers because God's word said words that tell us that as Christians we should be doing that? Think about God's algorithm. Um, <laughs> God has an algorithm okay,
3: I didn't know that as he looks at the trends and looks at all the math behind it, so God's watching what's trending
0: because he has an algorithm got it
3: how 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 are you doing in your conversations
0: according to the algorithm i I don't know um is there a computer screen website thingy that I can go to to check god's Al Gore rhythm for uh, testing my mathematical words and stuff.
3: What are you doing with your words? I want to talk about three things today. You can travel along with me on our app that you just downloaded.
0: Three things. Right, yeah, yeah. And those of you who have no idea what an app is, thankfully there were some millennials there in the audience that can help you download the app.
3: we are going to talk about? First of all, I'm going to talk to you about the wonder... Of words, the wonder of words right
0: because <laughs> apparently preaching the word you know the Bible is too too irrelevant. Um, so you're going to talk about the wonder of w- w- words rather than the word
3: you know called the Bible. got it Secondly, I'll, I'll spend a brief amount of time talking about the way of words. And then I'll wrap it up talking about the wisdom of words. So
0: the WWW of words. Yeah, the wonder of words, the way of words, the wisdom of words. Words, words, words. Lots of words, but we're not hearing the word in this sermon, apparently. Yeah. Are you feeling me? No. Really, no. And it's awkward having a pastor ask that question during a sermon.
3: Nod your head, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Now, let's talk about the wonder of words. What is a word? What, 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 what's a word? Well, I came up with this acrostic, words.
0: So you're going to define what a word is based upon what you think a word is. And so you created an acrostic which defines a word.
3: Oh, good night wonderful opportunities to relate dynamically to someone about something <laughs> ah! Okay, <laughs> wonderful
0: opportunities to relate to someone dynamically about something that's apparently what the word word mean uh, do you have a biblical text to back this doctrine up regarding words
3: that's what a word is a wonderful opportunity to relate dynamically to someone about something. Words.
0: D- does Webster recognize this de- definition of words? Will the Oxford English Dictionary agree with this d- definition of a word?
3: We're made in the image of God. God's a God of the word. This book, the Bible, is called the word of God.
0: Yeah, and you're supposed to be preaching it, and you're not.
3: God. God speaks to us through words. He could have made us communicate with smoke signals, with Morse code, with...
0: No, God communicated to us using words. They're written down for us. The job of a pastor is to, you know, preach that thing called the word of God.
3: Why aren't you doing that? I don't know. Drum beats with grunts and groans. What did God do, though? We're unlike any other creature. We have the ability to speak. Have you ever thanked God for the wonder of words? If you haven't, we're going to do it right now. On the count of three, I want us all to say, thank you, God, for words. Every. Uh, <laughs> this is so
0: painful. Out loud.
3: One, two, three.
0: Thank you, God, for words. Yeah. Rather than, thank you, Lord, for your word, the word that my pastor should be preaching right now, but isn't. Um, Okay.
3: I love it. Words are important. Words are huge. What did did God do? God created the heavens and the earth with his word. The Bible says he spoke the world into existence. Jesus is called.
0: Let's take a look at those words about God speaking the universe into existence with his word. You know, like, go to Genesis and read it out, man. That would really help these people, because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It's the thing you're supposed to be preaching. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter says that we are to be paying attention to it as a light shining in the darkness. You know, things like that regarding the Word. And uh, right now we're not hearing anything really about w- the Word, really.
3: The Word. John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was... the Finally, finally, we got a
0: verse. Folks, we've we've spotted a verse in this sermon, and we're like a third of the way through it. Say it with me.
3: Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Your words.
0: No, no, not my words. That Jesus is the, the Word, the Ha-Lagos, the Word word, halagas uh, tu theo, the word
3: of God, right? Think about your words, the words you said already today to your spouse, to that person you're dating, to maybe an usher, to someone who greeted you at all of our campuses in the parking lot. Think about the words you said to your grandfather.
0: Whatever words I said to my grandfather, who's been dead for a long time, by the way, Um, since I was in college. uh, Whatever words I said to them has nothing to do with Jesus being the Word. Enarche, enhalagas, kayhalagas, and theon. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God.
3: Uh Uh-huh. Your parent, think about what you said to your child. Think about what you said last week to the teacher, the coach. Words. Words.
0: Yeah, I'm saying words right now that are being recorded for this episode of Finding for the Faith. I preach words. I use words when I preach on Sundays at Kongsvinger, yeah. And uh, in fact, when I preach at Kongsvinger, you know, listen, I fear God more than anybody, so I'm going to make sure that when I get up and as a pastor that I'm going to do what Scripture tells me to do, because God actually wrote some words to pastors to tell them what their job is. And get this, their job is to actually preach the Word.
3: Words. Do you analyze your words? How about this spiritual algorithm? What is God seeing? What's trending in your life and in my life? You know, Where does the Word of God talk about spiritual algorithms? It's funny. As you think about people and and the words that we speak, you have on one end or one side of the continuum the overtalker. Do you know?
0: Yeah, that that, maybe that's what he is. I I, this is just I I can't believe this is a sermon. Okay, gonna take a moment here and just catch my breath. We're gonna change it up. We're gonna head down to Sydney, Australia, and Hillsong, and uh, listen to brian houston waxing eloquent about a solomon generation yeah well let's uh let's ease into this this way
6: praise the lord for all the cash i've got praising for my rolls royce and my yacht serving god ain't hard with a credit card jesus died so i could make a lot Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs, and soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. Stop the sermon on the mount. He should have had a bank account, two thousand years with interest. Keep me rolling in the dough Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD Just 40 plus GST Hallelujah, plenty of Moolah Solid four baubles on my Christmas tree I've got all of heaven's riches Thanks to all you stupid me. Christianity, yeah, whoever said religion should be free.
0: All right. We're heading over to uh, Hillsong, Sydney, Australia. This is from yesterday's sermon delivered by Brian Houston. The name of it is A Solomon Generation. A Solomon Generation. And we're going to take careful note of the Bible twisting technique that he is engaging in. It's a form of narcissism. Now, if you don't know what narcissism is, narcissism is a mixing of two words narcissism, which is about self love, and eisegesis, which is about reading things into the biblical text that are not there, put them together. And narcissism is you reading yourself into a text. Classic example of that is there's Gideon, and the, and the Lord, the angel of the Lord, approaches him and tells him that he's a mighty warrior. And so that means you, you're Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, and you are to go in the strength that God has given you to conquer your your Midianites or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, the story of Gideon actually, in type and shadow, prefigures Christ and the end of the world, but that's a different Topic, you'll get so, but you get the idea. So, it's about reading yourself into the biblical text. That's a total twisting of it. But we're going to hear something very different here in this segment. We're going to hear Brian Houston talking about a Solomon generation by hijacking a biblical text. And you'll note we've been noting this technique, we noted it a, two times last week, not even paying attention at all to what the text actually says and really digging in on the meaning of the text and the stories and the things like that. Not at all. He just is reading it in order to kind of use that as a stepping stone to talk about what he wants to talk about. And what does he want to talk about? He wants to talk about Hillsong's leadership. But I assure you, there are no biblical passages, especially the ones in the Old Testament that relate to Solomon's deeds and things like that, that have anything whatsoever to do with with the leadership of Hillsong Church. So here's Brian Houston and a Solomon generation. Here we go.
1: I've been thinking about things that have been three-generational in the scripture. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But I want to focus on Saul and then David and Solomon and that generation. And think about those three people. But I do think we're living in a Solomon generation. Solomon is a man of wisdom, is a man who built, and that's what I see now is...
0: Now, I just have to ask the question. What is the cash value of the phrase, quote, a Solomon generation, unquote? So, I mean, if I were to ascend the pulpit and say, you know what? I disagree with you, Brian Houston. We're not living in a Solomon generation. We're living in a Daniel generation. <laughs> I mean what does either of those phrases mean and how would I know whether or not we're living in a Solomon generation or a Daniel generation? The way I look at it is since I I wasn't alive when Solomon was on earth, that would mean I'm not part of the generation that Solomon was a part of. Um, And when Daniel was around me, I, my grandparents, I couldn't even begin to tell you where they were. Um, So somewhere in Europe, you know, some tribe somewhere in Europe. Uh, and so that being the case, you know, I, you know, I'm not part of the Daniel generation. What does it mean to say, oh, I believe that we're in a Solomon generation? Yeah, I have no idea.
1: Solomon generation. And so if I think about that, Saul, he was a mentor for David. He was obviously an oppressor and a persecutor, but he was a mentor in how not to lead and how not to rule. And then David, just an incredible example. Saul was an example in insecurity, and it destroyed him. David was an example in, uh, obviously, being a warrior, having a heart. He won battles with a warrior's passion, and he loved God. So notice we're not reading any
0: biblical texts uh, that actually tell us anything about Saul or David or Solomon. We're just kind of musing about the stories and reflecting on them in a way where... Now that reflection is becoming the main point of the sermon.
1: With the worshiper's heart and just an incredible example. And then Solomon, as I've been saying, is an example in wisdom, godly wisdom, and building. And so when I think about today and Jew and generation, and really the great majority of people I'm talking to, I would see this generation as being high capacity, opportunity like... Maybe never, ever before.
0: Right, yeah. You you generation, all this current generation of you young people, let me just take your egos and just add a lot of hot air to it and expand those things beyond the pale. Oh, Oh, this generation. Oh, they're a Solomon generation. Oh, man, they're not like any other generation before. Notice he's not calling them to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins he's telling them how amazing and wonderful they are a solomon generation they're nothing like oh they're even better than um (laughs) brian houston's which kind of begs the question is he is he saying that the generation coming up that they're a bunch of polygamists what is he saying
1: incredible incredible potential and with whom much is given much is required and so
0: Oh, yeah. The, talk about scratching, itching ears. They are just falling for this hook, line, and sinker.
1: It's just incredible in 40 years what God has done and is doing. There is more. There is more. There is more.
0: There's the plug for his book. There is more. Yeah, he's plugging his book right there.
1: I'm just amazed to see how, you know, people, God has given people a global platform and uh, just incredibly gifted people who... From our church are just doing incredible things around the world. There's obviously songwriters and worshipers, but there's the Christine Keynes of this world. So many other people, some of our lead pastors and just the influence and opportunity they have and people in so many areas of life. And then in other fields, when it comes to our congregation, people who are serving God in all sorts of business, professions, so many, so many amazing ways.
0: These are- so notice who he's preaching about hmm The Hillsong
1: leadership team. Yeah. Days. And so if I go back and I think about David's generation and Solomon's generation, which is what I want to talk about, keeping in mind that I'm talking about you and now and just being a Solomon generation.
0: Yeah, he's talking about them, not talking about Christ. That's, I'm glad he clarified that.
1: And I look at really what was spoken over David before he even really took his place as king. Saul, who had a distressing spirit by now just lived his life horribly and made so many mistakes and disappointed god so many times yeah those would be called sins
0: he actually sinned he disobeyed god he despised the word of the lord yeah and in first samuel chapter 16 verse 18 talking about now i just have to ask the question is first samuel about hillsong and hillsong's leadership team and Hillsong's Solomon generation uh, unlike any other generation before is that why this book was written?
1: David the Bible says one of the servants said to Saul one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player so David is a musician and a worship leader not only that he's a brave warrior a man of war so he was a man who knew how to battle knew how to war he has good judgment, the Bible says. And that to me is discretion. And so really, as a man of good judgment, he was a legacy maker. Proverbs 2.11 said,
0: Yeah, see, David was a legacy maker. Yeah, um, okay.
1: That discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. And as a man of good judgment and discretion, it preserved him. And so he left an incredible legacy
0: and uh are you as a solomon generation building on the legacy that brian houston left you like david you know
1: then on top of that the bible says he's a fine looking young man also a fine looking young man but i sort of take that beyond surface and just think of him as an outstanding charismatic type person and so when he did go to battle there were soldiers would go in with him, willingly go in there with him. And he had mighty men who risked their own lives on his behalf. And so he had the charisma of a leader. And most importantly, the Lord was with him. And David knew that. And he said more than once, but in Psalm 144, verse one, for instance, blessed the Lord, my strength. And if you read commentaries on that, it'll say that blessed be the God on whom I rely And so he knew the source of his strength. And that to me is critical. And so under David, Israel had what they called the golden years. They were dominant. In fact, Israel's most dominant period. Under David, Israel, he fought 66 battles. And he won them all. Never defeated in all of that time. So he is an incredibly, incredibly successful And he fought so many, 66 for one man's lifetime is a lot of wars to fight, 66 different wars. But under him, Israel became a superpower and had worldwide influence and uh, it was their glory days. So if you think about Israel, they started off uh, in bondage with Egypt and then ended up in a desert and spent so much time in a desert where, thank God, he was feeding them from heaven and Preserving them and so on, and then Joshua, Caleb, they... Just
0: the way he's summarizing these stories makes it sound like he really doesn't understand the significance of what those stories are pointing to in type and shadow to Christ.
1: To the promised land, uh, but there was a big battle and a big fight involved in them getting there. And, uh, you know, they spent time under captivity in Babylon and in the New Testament oppressed by greco-roman empire etc who ultimately the romans crucified jesus and so on so this was their golden years
0: <laughs> yeah the romans crucified jesus and so on and stuff yeah yeah I, it, it's always <laughs> a missed opportunity if all you're going to do is mention the crucifixion without saying and that was so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to god and you know things like that they
1: were undefeated and David knew it. Listen to what David said, Psalm 18, in verse 43 and verse 44. He said, You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. Listen, you have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. He took huge territory and the then known world, the globe, as it was known then, Israel, with a supreme force. Under David. Just incredible times. Solomon also knew it. He spoke about his father. uh, And he said, 1 Kings 5, you have put David's enemies, my father's enemies, under the sole of his feet. And so that was David. I'm talking about Solomon now,
0: though. Right. So all of that was to lay foundation so we can talk about Solomon. But here's the thing. He's not really going to talk about Solomon. He's really talking about Hillsong.
1: Solomon inherited a lot, basically took on a superpower. He inherited so much. He had a global opportunity. We think of Israel as this, which of course the land is that. But what they were impacting in those days was incredible. So Solomon inherited a lot, just like over that 40 years and looking at today, generations now and generations coming. You inherited a lot. So much has gone before you.
0: Yeah, so he's talking to the people there at Hillsong. Uh, I need to remind you that after Solomon's death, I mean, Solomon wasn't exactly faithful. Uh, He married a lot of foreign women and permitted his foreign wives to build um, altars and worship places to false gods and idols and things like that, and God... Literally tore the kingdom un, in, in apart after the death of Solomon. So if we're talking about a Solomon generation there at Hillsong, oh boy, they're going to destroy Christianity. <laughs> they're going to be sexually immoral idolaters who are going to destroy the kingdom. That's a, that's the only way I can interpret it. Maybe he doesn't recognize or
1: understand what what happened with Solomon. You know, many of us. People sacrificing and given who are now well and truly in heaven. Some of you have never known our church any other way than the way it is, and we start talking about opportunity and influence and
0: things. I told you he's not talking about Solomon. He's talking about Hillsong. It's fairy tale stuff,
1: except it's not. It's the grace of God. And it's, to God be the glory and glory to God through the church in Jesus' name. Glory down all generations Well, i read about solomon and i can see a lot that i would build a comparison with what i see in the third generation of leadership in our church both in our team and our staff
0: third generation of leadership at hillsong yeah and see he's talking about the three generations saul david solomon see he's preaching about
1: hillsong so in the people of our church and uh 1 Kings 4, 29 and 31, it talks about Solomon. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom, the deepest of understanding, the largest of hearts. There was nothing beyond him, nothing he couldn't handle. Solomon's wisdom outclassed the vaunted wisdom of the wise men of the East, outshone the famous wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone. Egypt, of course, is a type of the world. And so it's saying, You can throw up the world's greatest wisdom, the greatest sages in the world, but Solomon had wisdom at an entirely different level, totally different. He had wisdom to build. He had wisdom to lead. He asked God, give me wisdom that I may lead these great people of yours. And he had wisdom to increase. God blessed him with so much wealth and blessing, but he had the wisdom to increase that even further. He had so much going for him. Then on top of that, Solomon had the deepest of understanding. And so, in other words, he had expertise and he had know-how. I get amazed at the expertise and the know-how of this generation.
0: Yeah, the generation of leaders there at Hillsong. So I, I, I just
1: look at so much expertise and so much capacity... Which as I go on, this talks about, it It says he had the largest of hearts, he was big spirited,
0: big... Again, he's not talking about Solomon, he's talking about
1: Hillsong. Thinking, living larger, when, as David, he was a man of war. Solomon, he built relationships and went into treaties with people. He's just a man with a big heart. But on top of that, and I love this, it says there was nothing beyond him, nothing he couldn't handle. Huge, huge capacity. So when I talk to you and say, I think many of you are a Solomon generation, I'm really speaking life into you because I so-
0: No, you're scratching their itching ears. You're preaching about how amazing they are, rather than calling them to repent of their sins and trust in a crucified, their crucified and risen Saviour Jesus Christ, who bled and died for them. You, you see, Scripture tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. You're making them prideful, and they're sitting there going, "Amen! I really am wonderful. I really am have I have, a, I have a, lar- a large heart. Oh, I'm amazing, like Solomon. Whoa! Oh, oh, I'm just the bee's knees. Of course, I'm. I am. I knew I was special. Yeah. See, this is pride here. He's preaching pride into their lives. This, which isn't life giving. It. This is the uh,
1: sin of the devil, which led to his fall. You know, sometimes you go to weddings and I listen to younger people give speeches. And I'm like, I could not have spoken like that when I was your age. And I watch what, obviously, the computer age, what people can do technologically, where I'm absolutely deficient. And uh, then I mention this wisdom and so on, which was even greater than Egypt's best and on top of that, he was knowledgeable and educated.
0: Yeah, I think the, a good way to describe this is, is that he's fattening up their egos for the slaughter. This like, prepare the fatted calf you know, <laughs> to be slaughtered here. These fat-egoed uh, young millennial calves are going to be slaughtered by the devil himself rather than brought to penitent faith in Christ because, oh, man, they're just so amazing. Brian Houston says so. Oh boy. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. When we come back, we're heading to C3 Church San Diego to hear Charles Fuller in his sermon, Put the Pedal to the Metal.
1: Uh we'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
6: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a
0: salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Rah! You're
5: listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious, it's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical, somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E.coffee. Rex out! Dead. We got ourselves a heretic. No. Arr- <laughs> and exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics?
3: Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box.
5: No, no, no. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the fate today.
0: Two, fighting for the faith, sermon review, you can even call this a sermon, not even sure what to call this thing to be honest with you, let's do this right though. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church, San Diego, and uh, the message is delivered by Charles Fuller, one of their campus pastors. The name of the sermon is Put the Pedal to the Metal, and just based on the title, you should be sitting there going, what? Put the Pedal to the Metal... As a Christian, what does that even mean? Apparently, we're going to find out, Test to see if any of this is biblical or anything close, you know, as far as approaching the biblical status here. So, let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's Charles Fuller, put the pedal to the metal, here we go. Yes, that is the opening to the sermon. Charles Fuller is dropped to the ground and is doing push-ups.
4: That's my kind of intro music, Rocky. Wow, I, the tiger, you want to get me motivated, you put that on. Thanks, media team. Woo, that's a way to start a Sunday. Wow, what an honor to be in God's house with God's people. To give God's Word. Man, I am excited. God gave me a download for you today. I think it's going to bless your life. I, you, whoa, whoa, whoa. God gave you a what?
0: Um, were you using demonic virus protection during the download? You know, I, I just have to ask because if you uh, weren't using virus protection, you know, you weren't practicing s- safe, um, well connecting with God kind of stuff, and yeah, oh boy, yeah, this could be infected with all kinds of nasty false teaching, you know? So,
4: hey, let's join me in prayer and kick this thing off right. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to just be on your stage in your house to communicate to your people. God, the word that you gave me, may it inspire. The the, the word
0: that you gave directly to Charles Fuller. I get the feeling we're not going to hear much Bible here.
4: ...lift, encourage, and accelerate the life of everyone listening. God, thank What
0: does it mean to accelerate somebody's life? Does that mean they die quicker?
4: For all that you are doing, the lives that you are going to change through this message, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. Well, look at you guys. You look excited to be here, and I am excited to preach this message. So first, want to give a, an honor where honor is due. Our senior pastors, man, some of the salt in the earth, tell you, over a decade ago came to this country. They were obedient. They were faithful, didn't know a soul, and to see what they've been able to build, one couple sold out to God's mission and vision for their life. So thank you, Pastor. One
0: couple sold out to God's mission and vision for their life. Oh, that sounds like the dream destiny thingy doctrine.
4: And Leanne, you guys are salt to the earth. Love you. Thank you to Pastor John and Becky too for giving me the opportunity to be on this stage. They have mentored us and encouraged us, and uh, love following in their footsteps. So, so you guys ready? All right. Well, this series—I love the title "Accelerate." Who wants to accelerate their life this year? All right. I'm talking to the right. What does that
0: even mean? If I were to raise my hands, like, ooh, I want to accelerate my life.
4: What would it look like if it were accelerated? people then so you know i love to always do a little research on words and what they mean so i looked up accelerate in the di- dictionary and it means to undergo a change in speed to begin to you looked
0: up the word accelerate in the dictionary uh was that a biblical greek lexicon or a hebrew biblical hebrew lexicon which wor- uh, which passage of scripture has the word accelerate in it yeah i get the feeling that's not what's happening
4: here i don't know more quickly, to speed up, to increase, to go faster, gain momentum, and I love, and what I chose as the title of my message, is to put the pedal to the metal. Yeah, come on. There you go, media team, right there. We were meant to live an accelerated life and put the pedal to the metal. How many people have heard that term before? All right, I'm talking to the right people again. Amen. Yeah, I think I heard it on the Dukes of Hazard a long time ago, Yeah. One definition I love about accelerate is this. Acceleration is the rate or change of speed of an object, think of yourself, by a net result of any and all forces acting on the object. So I'm going to tell If I were to
0: suddenly accelerate, I'd probably end up flying out of the third-story window of my home, which is where the pirate cave is, by the way, and land somewhere in Minnesota. And probably die, you know, uh, know, with that, with, you know, because that's the thing. When you experience rapid acceleration, if you experience sudden deceleration, the G
4: forces will kill you. And unpack today what are all the forces in our life that were meant to accelerate us? And I'm going to unpack five of them. So today I want to take you on a journey with me. What I have discovered in my own life, 48 years young.
0: I've so this is based on what you've discovered in your life, not an actual biblical
4: text. Got it. On quite a journey in my life from Virginia. Hi, mom. Shout out to you. I love you. I'm the man I am today because I followed your example and uh, you're the greatest mom. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> where are the tissues? I might need one, so... But yeah, so 48 years, what have I learned? Um, You know, I kind of look at 50 as like a, you know, a halftime, you know, pause, reflect. What has God brought you through? What have you?
0: Yeah, if the average age is like 80 something, 50 isn't (laughs) halftime. No, no, that's a little beyond halftime here. You know, you're uh, rapidly approaching the final quarter, if you know what I mean.
4: And, and then how can you accelerate your life, no matter where you're at in life? But, but God has just given me some great downloads. So we're going to start <coughs> with a point, and I'm going to give you an action. Because at the end of this message, God's going to speak to you personally. He's going to give you your own unique download. No way. Really?
0: You can promise that, huh? God's going to give me a unique download after, at the end of this message.
4: I don't think so. You're going to hear something. It may not even be something I say. But something in your spirit's gonna resonate. Jot it down, record it, take every thought captive, and then apply it in your. Something in my spirit is gonna resonate. No, I don't think so. Amen? All right, point number one, get ready. The church. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when they get old, they will not depart from it. So let me tell you about my story. So for 18 years. What? So
0: you read Proverbs, you know, just so you could tell us your story. Job of a pastor is to preach the word. Your story is not the word.
4: My mother would drive me and my brother over to grandma. She never learned how to drive. And we would go to church. Mom would drop us off. She probably needed a break from two boys who tried to kill each other 24-7. So I don't blame her. But I went through a Baptist church. Any Baptist uh, out there? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, 18 years planted in a Baptist church, and, uh, you know, what I realized is that I love Sunday school, I didn't quite understand big church, and we used the King James version of the Bible, and I don't know about you, but when they started with thee and thou and thus, I was lost. I had no idea what the word was saying. Anybody can relate out there? Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, what God was teaching me as I was immersed in uh, those great hymns, uh, in prayer, in Sunday school, in big church, God was planting seeds. God was planting seeds that I didn't know that one day would germinate. And at nine years old, I was on the back row and I felt the call. You all remember when you felt that call that you're going to step out on faith, that today is your day to go and just accept Christ, accept all that he did for us. And I walked down that big, scary aisle, felt like every eye was on me, but that didn't matter. What mattered is I wanted my life to change. I wanted a father I never knew. I wanted a savior to forgive me of my sins. I wanted to lock in and secure my eternity. So for those of you here today, if you don't know that you know that you know, That your eternity is secured. Today is your day. I'm believing for you. You're going to give your life to Christ, and it's going to be a powerful day. So being ready. Yeah, the gospel is that Christ gave His life for us. Yeah, you got that backwards. In church, nine years old. So on April fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine. That's thirty nine years and one week ago today, I gave my life to Christ. It's been the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life. And so once you lock in your eternity, God doesn't just leave you there. Now it's go time. It's time to put the pedal to the metal and accelerate your life, and that's getting to know him.
6: Yeah,
0: Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, "'For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works.'" And so the idea then, as Christians, we are here to do good works. Good works would include making disciples, baptizing, teaching, all that Christ has commanded, you think Great Commission, but also our good works are done in our vocations as husband, wife, father, mother. Child, employer, employee. Read the back of Ephesians for details on this. I don't know what he's talking about when it comes to It's now go time for acceleration. Once we're brought to penitent faith in Christ, we're a new creation, and we are in Christ Jesus to do good works, plural, and Scripture defines what those are.
4: So a couple things for you. Jeremiah five. we had this on our daughter's wall. It said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So one, God knew you before you were conceived, and God set you apart. You're unique, one of a kind. There will never be another you. This is your time, your place to make an impact. And so he appointed us to be a prophet to the nations. And let me tell you, you know, he appointed us to be a prophet to the nations. I think he appointed Jeremiah for that. I have followed in my mom and grandmother's footsteps. I have brought my kids to church. I have learned. I have immersed them in this environment. And I'm happy to say my kids actually beat me. My daughters are in the audience. And at before their seventh birthday, they accepted Christ in their their life. I tell you what, no greater joy as a parent to see your kids eternity locked in. So, for both parents and for children out there today, the greatest thing you can do is be in church. You know, if you really want an accelerated life, soak and serve. But God will impart a vision. He will impart who you are, your identity, the
0: word. Where in Scripture does it say God will impart a
4: vision to us? There's no text that says that. From this book will come alive in your life and in your heart, and it'll accelerate you. Amen. So then I want to unpack this uh, one verse, and it's uh, Exodus 28. And it's about the fourth commandment. You know, we've all heard the Ten Commandments. The fourth one is about honoring the Sabbath. And God spends his time, multiple sentences here on this one verse, and it's important. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That's why Sunday is so important. That's why seeing every single one of you in here is the... Um, the Sabbath is on Saturdays.
0: Yeah, this, huh, this guy doesn't know his Mosaic Covenant very well, does he?
4: The greatest thing you can do during your week, look around you. Do you see an empty seat? That's your mission. Let's make God's house so full that standing room only out there in the hall. So each and every one of you can do that. We are the invitation. We made multiple invitations for people to come today. Some accepted, some didn't, but we don't give up on them. Get them into this house. Their life will be accelerated. So your action is to honor Sunday and make this the highlight of your week. Secure your eternity if you're in here today and you've not accepted Christ. And make Sunday a fun day. should be a day where you relax, you pause on the week, you reflect on the message, you take somebody out to lunch, and you just enjoy. You recharge, recoup, and get ready for the mission ahead. Amen? Amen? All right. Point number two. You ready? Okay, here it is. This book right here, the Bible. You want an accelerated life? Seek wisdom. Joshua one eight says, "Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that." Now, good idea to meditate on God's word day and night. And so
0: glad to hear that he's he's a guy who's saying, "Come to church." That's that generally would be a good thing if the. Church you're going to um, rightly handles God's word, proclaims the gospel, preaches the law and gospel, sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, rightly administers the sacraments, things like that. That would be a good thing. And yes, definitely meditating on God's law, a good thing. But where in Scripture does it say that that will lead to an accelerated life, that this is step two on how to have an accelerated life? Yeah, no text
4: says that. You may be careful to do everything written in it. Here it is. You want this secret? Here it is. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How many people want to be prosperous and successful?
0: Yeah, that's... A, uh, here Joshua is making a reference back to the Mosaic
4: Covenant. Uh. God, not I just tell you one of the golden keys right there. Meditate when? Day and night. Amen. So I've not always been great. So if you're not prosperous and successful, maybe you've
0: only been meditating during the day and haven't done enough night meditating. Oy.
4: That, but man, the reminder of that—to just sow that word into my life and to let God's word come out of my mouth. Psalm one, one through three said, "Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of not who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly." nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now, here's what's going to happen when you do that. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season. What season are you in? Whose leaf, I think that's my children, shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Golden secret right there again. Meditate day and night. Delight in the law. You will prosper. So let me give you a... Golden secret, apparently. Who knew? Story. One of the greatest things that uh, hindered my acceleration is not having the right Bible. Growing up in a Baptist church, the King James Version, I didn't understand a word that was in there. Can anybody relate to me? Yeah. So I didn't know there were other versions of the Bible out there. And so... Here I am, 18 years, I really can't read this, it's like a foreign language, and then I go off to college. So I went to the Virginia Military Institute for the sole purpose of being a Marine officer, to earn a scholarship. Hoorah! we got some Marines in here, It's military, thank you for your service to our country. You're the one percenter, I'm proud of you. Pick up your cross, went to go fight for freedom for somebody else, just like our Savior did. So I'm in college and graduation comes around. I've earned the mechanical engineering degree. I'm going to be commissioned a second lieutenant, the United States Marine Corps. But there was a special ceremony, a ceremony that meant more than all of that. And it was a ceremony where all cadets, they were brought into the chapel and they were brought up one by one and they were given this, a holy Bible engraved with their name. And little did I know that that was the greatest thing that I gained from college, this book of wisdom, this book of prosperity, this book of identity. I did not know how cherished this book was. Prosperity and identity, okay. And so I'd set it on my shelf. And over the next 10, 20, 30 years, I'm an avid learner. I got books on business, books on marriage, books on coaching, on mentoring anything i could to be a better man to develop my character but the one book that i forgot to read was the bible and it is the greatest book you will ever encounter you know i would agree and the bible is about jesus
0: not us being prosperous
4: one thing that i've learned is that you know not only is this the greatest book that should be on your shelf it should be on your nightstand it should be in your car but more importantly, it should be in your heart. That's where we need to get the Bible. When it's- now, I agree. Now, you're going to note that we're hearing a lot
0: of imperatives or a lot of law. You got to You got to You got to You got it. So we're hearing law. And some of the things he's saying, You know, I can take you to clearer passages that would bolster the things that he's saying. But when we hear what God's will is via the law or direct commands and command uh, commandments from God that would tell us what God demands of us. Now here's the problem is because we do not do those things perfectly we are when we hear God's law it will condemn us. And that condemnation tells us that we have fallen short and that we have sinned. The only solution for that is the gospel, which is the good news that Christ has bled and died for our sins. So we hold both law and gospel together in tension, each to do its own part. But here all we're getting is you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And these are the secrets to what? An accelerated life. I I still don't know what that is, but... If I want an accelerated life, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Hmm. What's really interesting is, is that when I recognize what Scripture says, that it's not that I love God, it's that he loved me. He first loved me, it's because he loved me that I now love him. He's, you know, what uh, Charles Fuller had done here is he's put the the caboose in front of the engine and expects the uh, the caboose to be driving things here. Yeah,
4: no, that's not how that works. Your heart, you talking about an accelerated life, you are off to the races. And I'd want to share this with you because sometimes we forget how important this book is. From the Guinness Book of World Records website, I quote, although it is impossible to obtain exact figures, there is little doubt that the Bible is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. A survey of the Bible Society concluded that around 5 billion, that's billion with a B, copies have been printed. The whole Bible has been translated into 349 languages. 2,123 languages have at least one book of the Bible in that language. So golden nugget number two, you want an accelerated life? Buy a Bible today, a Bible that you could read. There's all kinds of translations out there. Grab it first. You know, what's the first thing that you read? Is it a magazine? Is it another book? Or do you put this word into your life first? When you put this word, man, it is game over. So that's one thing that I have learned. So read the Bible. And then another little plug. I'm just going to be a little bold up here because I think we should be a witness. And when you bring this Bible to church and when we reference it on stage and I look out in the audience and I see every one of you, Grab underneath your seat, your Bible, with your notes, how God has spoken with you, and you open it up to that chapter, that verse. How encouraging is that? What a witness tool that that is. And I know today we live in an electronic age, and this is convenient, absolutely. iPads are convenient. But did you know that every time that you take your Bible somewhere, open it up, even if it's just in church, you're a witness to somebody around you. Like, wow, I want my own. One of the cherished things that I always loved, my father-in-law is in the uh, the house today. And going to church with him in Tucson after I married his daughter, he carried around a pink Bible. Now, how many men know you got to be a manly man to carry a pink Bible? Yeah, but what was on that Bible was his daughter's name. And like, even though she had left the nest and married me and I took her all around the world, he just cherished that. That was her Bible and wanted to read her notes and the things that that God spoke to her about. So the legacy, it just dawned on me that like the legacy, one of them that I want to leave behind to my kids is they can go back and look at that tattern, worn, notes all over the page, teardrops, you know, in there and say, wow, how did God speak to my father? What did he learn? I can't think of a better gift you can leave your kids. That wasn't even in my notes. That's just a freebie. (laughs) So, all right, we ready for point number three, association. Now, this is a a good one right here. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. One of the things we love about Emerge is because that's, Sometime for many men, the only time of year where men get real around the campfire, and they let other men into their life, let them know their struggles and what they're facing. And when one man gets real, and I encouraged every captain, I said, your very first talk around the campfire, if you get real as a leader, you have just opened up all 40 men staring back at you to get real. And that's what makes Emerge powerful, and that's what brings breakthrough. So get real, confess your sins, and pray for one another. John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even... All right, so confess our sins, an important thing
0: for sure. What about Christ's death on the cross for our sins? Again, it, all law. We're not hearing any gospel from this
4: fellow, but just a lot of law. I have loved you. You have also loved one another. And there's been many people in our life that, for lack of a better word, are probably unlovable. They have done things to you, harmed you. It could have been a parent, a you know, good. F- By the way, the First uh, John. Uh, this is an epistle that
0: explicitly teaches that because Christ has loved us sacrificially, we are to love one another in that same way. So the very love that Charles Fuller is admonishing people to cannot be properly understood apart from what Christ did for us on the cross. That, again, is a problem here. We're getting a lot of law, but not law and gospel. You
4: need both. And a business partner, whatever it is. But can we have the character, and can we look at them as God looks at them? And when our Savior is laying on the cross, what does he say? Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. When you have that level of character, God can use that. You can be a witness. That
0: level of character? Uh, Again, everything is about exhortation here without any emphasis on what Christ has done
4: for us first. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are also doing. How many people in your life encourage you, lift you up? We need people in our life. The world will beat you down. Who's in your corner? Who's there to just champion you? Find people like that. In Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look around this room. Every one of us, sons and daughters of the King, every one of us meant to rule and reign. Every one of us meant to be unified. That's why God talked about we are the body of Christ. Some of you are a foot, a finger, a hand, an arm. Discover your purpose. Discover your calling in this church. But the power of unity, it is unbelievable. I think every man in here who has ever came to emerge in that opening night, worship, we had 1,300 men in seats. The power of unity. The power of men getting their roar back, being unified. Uh, How about the power of Christ? Power of unity. I don't know what that is. With God, our father up there, it is unstoppable. That is what I have personally taken from Emerge every year is that if we stay unified, if we love each other, we cannot be stopped. Amen. So I surrounded myself with various associations that have taught me various things in life that accelerated my life. Some good, some not so good. So first of all, my father figures, they taught me what not to do. I am on my fifth stepfather, and the things that I observed growing up was adultery, workaholic, time abuse, mental abuse and drunkardness. That's literally what I saw, you know? And you can choose to follow in that footstep, or you can choose to break that chain and say, "Not on my watch. I'm a new man, a new creation. God will use all things together for good. So have that perspective that, like, it doesn't matter what I came through. It's where I'm going. I've just learned how, what not to do. So I am now married for 21 years. I've got two kids that are planted in church. Who's he preaching about?
0: Himself. And this is one of the side effects of preaching the law or an exhortation without the gospel is that, um, yeah, it leads to a bizarre form of self-righteousness. And, yeah, that's kind of what I'm hearing here.
4: I've got friends. I've got family. And so don't let the past define you. God's got such a beautiful future for every one of you. Then my coaches. Anybody play sports in here? All right. What I learned was the value of discipline and hard work. Now, I grew up in Virginia. I love to play every sport. And uh, football team. So I, I tried out every year. I made the cut. But let me tell you about our football team. Our football team averaged six foot tall, 200 pounds. Can anybody relate? So here I am eating everything in mom's kitchen, every single week to put pounds on me. I get up to a raw 165, five foot nine. So I'm going against these giants of men. But I tell you what, I loved every second of it. And what I did, I knew that to survive, to make a a name for myself, to be part of the team, that I had to give 100% every play, every down, every practice, every game. And so the greatest compliment I ever got in sports was when my defensive coach pulled me up our senior year. He said, Fuller, get up here. He grabbed me by the shoulder pad and he said, look at him. Look at Fuller. He's five foot nothing. Nothing. 165 pounds, but he's got one thing you guys don't have. He's got a heart. If you guys had half the heart of Fuller, we'd be state champions. Come on. That's the kind of heart we're looking for. you
0: got to have a heart like Fuller, man. Get, You need a Fuller Fuller in your life
4: thingy. Ah. And here's the beauty of that. We went to the state championship my senior year. Now, granted, we lost by one point, very bitter defeat. I'm still stung by it. But I tell you what, one man, one person, that's you, operating in excellence, giving 100% of whatever God has put you on, you can raise everyone else up. So the value of coaches and mentors, discipline and hard work. My pastors, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, wow, the value of vision. Don't you love their vision? Aren't you caught up and inspired? No, no pastor
0: receives a unique vision from God for his church. And notice pastors, Jurgen and his wife, his wife can't be a pastor.
4: God's word forbids that. By their vision, we need people in our life that are visionaries, that cast something bigger and bolder. Jeff Forbes and I know for Emerge, we were at 1,000 men last year. So, you know, a good 20, 30% growth would be off the chart. What's, Pastor, you say? 1,600! I'm like, that's 60% increase. What is going on here? I was like, we're good. I don't know if we're that good. So, But I love a big, bold, audacious vision because if people don't cast a vision that requires God to partner with, you'll live below your means.
0: Nonsense.
4: No biblical text says that. Amen. So we did everything possible. The Jeff Rutowski's, the Noah's, they dominated here at Central, met the goal. But I tell you what, just having a visionary in our life, the value of being real. I learned that from Pastor Jurgen. For your senior pastor to like let you in on what's going on in his world, his marriage, his kids. I mean, I, I'd never seen that modeled in leaders throughout the Marine Corps. They all had a facade. But wow, this guy let me in. He trusts me. I was like, maybe I can let other people into my world. And then he spoke a word of life into me. You are a shepherd. Have you had anybody speak a word of life into you that's resonated that you've never forgotten? And that seed will germinate. God, it may take 5, 10, 15 years. But we need to speak life into other people. And we need to be spoken into. Amen? Then I have friends like Pastor John and Pastor Colin who have both told me, There is no one like you, Charles. Now, at first I'm like, is that a good thing or not? Uh, It's like, okay. Again, he really is uh, preaching about himself and that is a huge problem. I'll take it as a good thing. So, yeah, but like to have someone call out your uniqueness and your gifting, you know, that's what I see when I look out at this audience. I see a bunch of winners, a bunch of champions. And if you're like me, you just don't know it yet. You just haven't been around the right association to call that out. And then I've got men around this room that lift me up. You know, one of them right there, Jeff Forbes. Tell you what, the gifts, the talent that that man has is just incredible. But partnered with me, I tell you what, it's been a great ride. We have enjoyed the journey. God has been on everything we've touched, you know. And I, I could start naming out names all through here. But uh, I'm just proud of every single person I've had the privilege to get to know you. And I'll never forget that quote. It's always stuck with me, and it's how I look at every single one out here. Every man or woman is my superior in some way. You guys have gifts, talents, abilities. You've been through things I haven't been through. You've achieved things I haven't achieved. You could teach me things. So do we look at our association as like, what can I learn from them? Sometimes a negative lesson, sometimes a positive lesson, but guard your association. Then family and friends. I'm blessed to know amazing business leaders, uh, pastors. My father-in-law, Glenn Wilson, has taught me so much about being a man, a real man, you know, and they see the potential and believe in me. We all need people in our life like that. I can tell you right now, two of the people that every single time they saw me, it didn't matter if it had been a year since we had seen each other, you know what they would say? Champion, how are you? You're a winner. You're amazing. I'm so inspired by you. I'm like, me? Me? Have you ever asked yourself that? But like to have someone to see that in you, it makes you want to rise up and be what they called. Amen? Yeah. So, and then my friend Dr. Matt Hubbard. How many know Dr. Matt Hubbard? I know. He's a champion, isn't he? But that's just one guy that, you know, is following God. So, again, you'll note he's not exegeting any biblical
0: text here. This is an uh, all law, no gospel pep talk, complete
4: with steps and secrets that are not even found in Scripture. Doing what God has asked him to do. So, a man in your life that will take his time his talent, and his treasure and invest in you. Do you have a man and woman in your life right now that are investing in you? Cherish that. Cherish that mentorship. Cherish that coaching. Be hungry for it. When's the last time you said, I see someone with fruit on their life and their marriage. They've been married 30 years. I want to be married 30 years. Can I take you to coffee? Can I get to know what has been your secret of success like Ron and Quacha down here? I want to know everything that they have. You know, so that's on you. Live an accelerated life. Go for it. Don't let this be your status quo. Go
0: Again, what is an accelerated life? This doesn't sound like you're encouraging people to bear the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, things like this. I don't know what an accelerated life is.
4: There and invite somebody to lunch. Who's got a great marriage? Who's a great parent? who's a great prayer warrior, who's a great leader, a businessman, and it goes on and on. We can learn something from them. Take them to lunch. Amen? All right. Then finally, I found that you can live by choice or you can live by chance. How many people are living by chance, vice choice? You're either leading your life or you're letting your life lead you. Are you in the driver's seat? Today's the day that can all change. God has brought people in and out of my life over these last 48 years, and they have all helped me in some way along my journey. And God continues to bring people into my life. I'm excited for the next chapter, the next season, because I know God is growing my character. He's growing my belief. He's growing my faith, and he uses each and every one of you to help me, and God will use people in your life to help you. Amen? And then finally, you know, take your top five closest friends. People have often said, if you want to see someone's future, look at their top five friends. How many people in your life are uplifters, encouragers? How many people are lifters and not leaners? And then I've always found that Do you have lifters, not
0: leaners in your life. You want those lifters, no leaners, right? Okay.
4: A lot of people come and go in our life. Some people are there for a reason, a specific reason. Who are those people? Some people are there for a season. Maybe it's five years. Maybe it's 10 years. They're there to help you along the journey. But then there's those special people, those people that are there for a lifetime. How many people do you have in your top five in that category? And if you don't have it, today is the day. Amen? Live an accelerated life. Guard your association. So the action is to get your top five to start pursuing those relationships aggressively, got to accelerate your life and surround yourself with lifters and not leaners. All right, now one of my all-time favorites, point number four, your spouse. If you're not married here and engaged, don't tune out because you want to be a great partner someday, right? A great husband, a great wife. So everything I'm going to share is something for you. Genesis 2.18 says, "'The Lord God said, "'It is not good for man to be alone.'" I will make a helper suitable for him. So if you're married or engaged, that's your helper. Think of that word. How do they help you? Genesis two twenty three through 24, the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and here's the key, is united to his wife. How many marriages are actually united? I haven't always had a united marriage. I've been out there trying to slay the dragon, bring home the bacon, whatever you want to call it. And I put so much time, talent, and energies into to making a living that when I come home, do I make my marriage the most important? You know, I've been convicted by that. It's like, I, you know, God gave me all these amazing gifts that I use for other things. What am I doing to cast the vision for my family? What am I doing to t- cast a vision for your family? Uh-huh wife, like, I want you to be in submission to our vision. I need you. You're my equal partner. So that's some things we can do. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a good wife finds a what? A good thing. That's right. We can just pause right there, but it goes on and finds favor from the Lord. Amen. How many want favor in here? All right. I found a good wife and I'm operating in favor and I want you to as well. And then I want to unpack this one a little bit uh, Ephesians 5:25 through 28 Husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word what he might then he might present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, God just gave me a new download on that. And men... He he did. God
0: gave you a new download on that. So the old download is like antiquated. So we need download 2.0 regarding husbands loving their wives.
4: Okay. That is one of the greatest missions that I think we could ever pursue is to treat our wife and to make her what that verse just called. So it says, husbands, truly love your wife. Sanctify her. Think about what that means. Cleanse her. Wash her with the water of the word. You've got to be grounded in this if you want to wash your wife with the water of the word. And then make her a glorious church without spot or blemish or wrinkle. Think about that. Is your wife someone you are so proud of because you've invested in her? You've invested her to make that glorious church. You can't wait to introduce your wife to somebody, to show her off. I mean, men, that's a big mission. I don't know if you see it like I do, but uh, that's a lifetime mission right there. But I want to be that kind of man, that kind of husband that makes my wife the best that God created her to be, to partner with her, to wash her with the word, and to make her that glorious church. Amen? Amen. So our wife is our helper. She will help accelerate your life. And likewise, husbands, you are... What
0: does it mean that my wife will help accelerate my life?
4: Be responsible for accelerating your wife's life. Think about it. We were meant to do life... How do I accelerate my wife's life? Together in unity. You know, as I'm running a race, I want my partner right there with me, hand in hand, arm in arm, traveling down the same road, going for the same goal. Do you have unity in your marriage right now? If not, it's not too late. Start. Begin somewhere. But when you're united, you talk about an accelerated life. God realized that he wasn't enough, that he had to give a helper to us to help us on this journey called life, to help us. So
0: God realized that God wasn't enough for us. No text
4: says that, and that is really awful, what you just said, our destiny. So Tessa, my beautiful bride of 21 years, is my helper in so many ways. Yeah, give it up for her. She's an amazing woman of God. Yep. I love her to death. You know, she chose me and I chose her to spend the rest of our life together. You know, she is, encourages me like nobody else. She runs in this race of life with me. My wife has accelerated my journey like never before. She's the one I would die for, but the one I want to live for. She is the mother of my legacy, my beautiful daughters up there that'll carry on when we're gone. She is my biggest fan, my cheerleader my encourager. Her opinion of me means more than all others combined. Her words carry the greatest weight. She can crush me or she can lift me to the highest heights. She sees my faults, my weaknesses, my blind spots, my cracks, and she can choose to cover them or reveal them, and she's a coverer. I may be the head of the house, but my wife is the neck that turns the head. Amen? Amen. All right, that's wisdom right there, men. <laughs> I've always believed that our spouse is one of the greatest assets. In- Again, note he's preaching himself. Yes, God has given us to accelerate our life, to fulfill our destiny, to achieve the life God intended. And I'm going to show you a little clip here. It's from my favorite series, Rocky. So, yeah, no push-ups involved on this one. But he teams up, he sums up two reasons in this clip, what men are willing to fight for, what they're meant to be bloodied, beaten, bruised, almost on their deathbed. But what are men really willing to fight for? One is victory for them and their bride. And number two is to be somebody, victory for themselves. Mm -hmm. Every man wants a beauty to rescue And every man wants to succeed and be the man God called him to be. At the moment of his greatest achievement, Rocky, he's got the mic. He's in the center of the ring, beaten, bloodied, bruised. And he says these profound words. All right. I'm going to fast forward
0: through the Rocky clip just because it doesn't make any sense to me at all that somehow... Rocky gets um, a better place in this sermon than Jesus, which is
4: bizarre. Uh, We continue. Every man wants to be a winner. We want to win for our wife, win for our family. But notice the association. Thank you for a challenger, Apollo. Thank you for a trainer and a coach, Mickey. Thank you for God believing in me. Thank you for the fans supporting me. But thank you for my wife who encouraged me, that told me I could be somebody. That's what I love. Cue
0: sappy music. That's an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience to get them to make some kind of a decision, one way or another, to do something. I'm not sure what we're deciding here. To live the accelerated life, to put the pedal to the metal, I have no idea what that is. Because Scripture, in talking about sanctification, talks about holiness, talks about obedience to God and His commandments, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, patience, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what an accelerated life is
4: about that clip. That's what you have. If you're married, you've got a helper, a husband, a wife. Be that kind of person. Amen? Amen. All right. So the action. Accelerate your life. Guard your association. Pick your top five. Take people out to lunch, get the fruit on their tree, and watch what God's going to do to partner with you. Now for the main event, are you guys ready? All right, I saved the best for last. This is the key accelerator right here. We're going to kick it off with Matthew twenty two thirty six through thirty eight, and this is so profound. If you pause on one verse in the Bible, this is a good one. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Hmm. I told you this was all
0: law, no gospel. Jesus summarizing the greatest commandment, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all of the commandments, all of the law. This is law, 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 la law, law, And people are being convicted. They're falling short, and they're not being pointed to Jesus, who's bled and died for these sins at, at this point, because we're up to the finer, final accelerator, and the gospel doesn't accelerate you, apparently.
4: Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Connecting with God is the greatest thing you can do to accelerate your life. I haven't always been wise. I haven't always realized. The
0: law convicts us of our sin and shows us how we're not connected to God. Read Romans 3. None is righteous, no, not one. That the law points this out to us to, in order to silence us and show us our need for a Savior.
4: He holds the key to my future, the key to me fulfilling my destiny. How many times have I run off in the day, been about my own agenda? How many times have you? If we were to look back and we write our value and vision statements, and we've got our top one through five or ten, most people say, Why well, put God at the top? I said, Okay. Let's test that theory. Pull out your calendar. Pull out your time block. How, many, how much time did you spend with God today? How much time did you pray? How much time did you worship?
0: Right, and all of that's going to prove that they haven't obeyed this commandment, which means they need a Savior. Even Christians need that Savior.
4: How much time did you seek Him? How much time did you read His Word? Is He really your number one priority? Do you really want to accelerate your life? Do you really want to be all that God created you to be? Well, that's, that's the secret right there. We've all been given 24 hours in the day from the president. So the secret is the law?
0: Hmm. Where's the gospel figure into this? Because Galatians would argue against
4: what you're saying to you. We all have 24 precious hours of the day. Just invest some of them. Start small. You may have never dug into this word. You may have never developed a prayer life. You may not speak in tongues, you know, but you can start. Today you can start digging into this word. Now, a couple keys that I found that have helped me. <clears throat> Number one is prayer. Keys to loving the Lord your God with all of your heart. So, okay, he's figured
0: this out, by the way. He's holding himself up as one who's actually doing this.
4: About a couple months ago, I realized that I needed to honor the last part of the Lord's Prayer His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, what did I do? I started rolling over and hitting my knees. Every single morning, I hit my knees. And I was like, God, I love you. Thank you for another day, another day of life. God, thank you for my bride over there sleeping, protect her, guide her, be with her. Help me to be the husband she deserves. God, thank you for my kids sleeping in their room. God, they're angels from heaven. Help me to be the man that I want them to marry one day. Develop my character, my integrity, so I can be all you created me to be. And God, I give you this day. This is your day. God, you lead it. I'm done leading my life. I've led my life for 48 years, in it's emptiness. But God, if I'm on your mission, if I see your people, if I see where you're moving each and every day, and if I just trust you and I operate, help me to hear that still, small voice. And God, let's do something amazing, just like those heroes in the Bible. God, I want to partner with you. I want to be all that you created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I started starting my, my day like that, and I encourage you to do the same thing. Thank you. Thank you. It's a powerful, powerful way to start your day. Amen. Thank you. Love you. <laughs> Love
0: you. Right. He's just sucking in the applause there for him. I got
4: two minutes. Sit down. <laughs> All right. We're going to have to go quick here. So Worship. If, I was raised in Baptist church hymns, but I tell you what, guys, it's like I have never felt closer to God than I'm up here, I'm worshiping. Before, I like, I just would listen to the songs, I'd look around the room, I'd see people jumping, excited, and I was like judging, for lack of a better word, judging worship. I wasn't in worship. But boy, when you are in worship, when you are the only one in this room, it could be 10,000 people but you were the only one in this room. You're looking to heaven, hands raised, praising the greatest father, the one that gave his only son, that gave everything for me, just me. He would have came on that mission just for me. When you're in that moment, he is closer than I've ever felt him in my life. So develop a worship life. Develop a prayer life. Let the Holy Spirit out. The one thing God's teaching me right now let the Holy Spirit out? Is he, he locked up? Like We all have champions, coach, business leaders, this, that, and the other. Did you know the greatest coach and mentor you've got if you're a Christian lives right in here? It's called the Holy Spirit. How many times? I, I, I asked myself, I was like, I have locked him in a cage. I have thrown away the key. I have gagged him. I have bound him. I have not let him operate in my life. And it's, um, it's done. It's done. It's like, Holy Spirit, you can do anything through me. It's not my strength. It's not my power. It's just giving you free reign, free will to do what you and only you can do. So I encourage you guys, if you don't have a prayer life where you speak in tongues, it was foreign to me. It wasn't natural. But I wanted all. Scripture is clear in First Corinthians 12.
0: Not everybody speaks in tongues. False doctrine here gifts that God
4: had for me. I was hungry for it, and I hope you're hungry for it. So men prayed for me. Something came out of my mouth. I didn't know if it was Babel from when I was a baby. I didn't know what to make of it, but they said, that's it. Just keep speaking it. Give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak through you. And this verse says, 1
0: Corinthians. So you'll note that uh, C3 is a um, church organization That is about, well, everybody
4: speaking in tongues. Teen 4, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And I had a moment in time where I spoke in tongues long enough where I knew that I knew that I knew it was not me. It was the Holy Spirit. For the first time, I was like, I didn't just buy it on faith and belief that he's in there, he is physically in there. And he is powerful. Tears streaming down my face, driving. And like, it was, it was just an encounter that I hope all of you have had. And so just let him out each and every day. Amen? Finally, I'm a big one thing guy. I've shared a lot with you today. God has communicated things. You've wrote it down. Maybe it's something I said. Maybe it's something I didn't say. That's what I love about God. He'll tell you what you need to know. But if you get one thing from my message today, the only thing that you're going to focus on this next week, this next month, is develop a relationship with God, close and intimate and personal. I was speaking with a pastor friend, world-renowned leader, operates. I mean, he just this guy is on fire Uh, in his late 60s. And I asked him, what's the secret to living a life like you've lived? And he said, think of yourself as one strand, when you entangle God around that strand, it strengthens it, it binds it, it makes it stronger, and you're unstoppable. So entwine God into your life in all those areas. Amen. All right, closing. Pedal to the metal. I'm gonna bring it all home. You guys ready? All right. There's different stages in your life. Uh, my father-in-law was a big car Mopar guy. We restored cars together, so that's why I love this title: Pedal to the Metal. And he has squealed some tires and done some smoky burnouts. I love every single one of them. But what I want to leave you with is uh, let's think about that. So number one, stage one, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a destination that you're going? Or is it just day after day rat race on a wheel? Pause and reflect. Where do I want to end up when I breathe my last breath? Create a vision. Write it down. Make it plain. Then number two, you need a vehicle. Vehicle it could be a business you're in it could be you know you're an employee it could be something that that makes you tear up every time you see it i think god put that on your heart that you were meant to do something in that area but you need a vehicle to operate in but a vehicle's no good parked in the driveway you need to physically get in the driver's seat you need to drive your life you need to be the one in the lead in the driver's seat and then it's going to take action. Faith without works is dead. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't take that...
0: Yeah, uh, you're twisting that text. Works without faith is also dead. It can't save you,
4: and we've heard nothing but works here, nothing about faith in Christ. But and maybe you're, you've been cruising along. You're on cruise control. Maybe you're at a comfortable spot in your life, but you know there's something more. What I want to see every single one of you do is punch it. Put the pedal to the metal. Take that action and stomp on it. That's what God, that's the life that God caused you to lead. And then once you've done that, put the pedal to the metal. Then enjoy the journey. Look out the window. Enjoy the seasons, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's all good. It's developing your faith, developing your character, developing your belief. Amen. And then finally, here's the best part. Whenever your day comes, you see the finish line. You see the checkered flag. You see that banner stretched out across. You've got it punched, pedaled to the metal. You are cruising in. You may be in the last season of your life right now, but it's not over. It's not over because you have learned more than I have learned at 48 years. You have got wisdom. You have failed more than I have failed. Pay it forward. Sow it into somebody. Let your legacy outlive you by who you impart into. Amen? But here's the beauty. You're cruising along, and guess what's written on that banner? What I want to see, what I want to see for all of you, is, well done, my good and faithful servant.
0: And- yeah, that's not accomplished by works. No, it, it, it isn't. That's accomplished by grace through faith than doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do. It's law and gospel. You just preached law and applied it to the well-done thing, which creates the false impression that our salvation is based upon works. Amen? And that's all I got for today. Thank God. Okay, so all right thank you thank yeah yeah all right so that was that was a tough road to hoe and a mixing of law and gospel and wrongfully so and that was not a, a good sermon on biblical sanctification it's important to note that those who are truly in christ who are regenerated they do good works there's no such thing as a christian who doesn't and there were some good works that he mentioned that are legitimately part of what Scripture describes as our good works. And it was mixed with some other stuff, but over and again, the whole warp and woof of that thing was legalistic self-righteousness as sanctification, rather than humbly offering ourselves as living, as living sacrifice for our neighbor, for our neighbor's sake, because we are saved. Um, Yeah, Christ and his cross and his incarnation and bleeding and dying, then not only informing us of God's great love for us that we're reconciled to the Father, but then an example by which we then live and love each other sacrificially. Nope, that's not what we heard from him, though, so... All right, what what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.